Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. going out west today for a song of the soul and the musical spirit we're going to visit is that of Derek Lamson. Derek has a wonderful tale to tell and moving music to tell it with. He's a member of West Hill Friends Church on the southern side of Portland, Oregon. Derek journeyed through disbelief and addiction, through joy and peace, and because he's a musician, he's told his story in the songs he's written. Blues, bluegrass, old-timey, and folk pop are the musical styles that call to him the most, and the names of Jesus and God are never far from his lips. Derek Lamson joins us today by phone from his home in Portland, Oregon. Well, Derek, it's so wonderful for you to join me for Song of the Soul today. It's nice to be here, Mark. Thank you for inviting me on your program. Are you in Portland, Oregon itself, or are you uh, somewhere nearby there? I'm in southwest Portland. And is this your home stomping grounds? Is this where you grew and thrived? I'm from the northwest, Mark. I was a little boy out in the desert in cowboy country. I got a chance to spend several years on the Oregon coast. I did commercial fishing out there. And my wife and my two small boys and I moved to Portland in 89, so I've been here almost 20 years now. If you were in cowboy country, you must have wanted to grow up riding horses across there, herding cattle, and playing your lonesome guitar. Was that your uh, childhood dream? Well, Mark, we moved the summer I turned 12, so I didn't get a chance to do too much of that stuff. We were on the 
trembling edge of coming into teenage stuff. But when I was a boy, I got the privilege of living with my grandparents, and they were very active. They had property. They were ranchers. We had lots of horses. I spent the whole summer in the saddle. It was just a priceless gift, and it was wonderful. Were you a music man back then, too? No. The only thing that, that I think is important about my musical background when I was a kid was that we were sort of off the map, and there were only like two radio stations in town. And I thought about this a lot, especially with regards to my own taste, Mark, because one station was all country all the time, and the other station was lots and lots of country, and then anything pop that came down the road. So by the mid-60s, when I was my family was getting ready to leave there, we were hearing Sinatra and the Beatles, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and lots and lots of country all mixed up together on the same channel, which kind of explains some of my goofy taste. Well, I want to dive into your music and give people a little bit of the flavor of your music. And the first song that you chose, I know, is See My Freedom Come. How long ago did this song come to you, and what's it about? I think I wrote it in 03, maybe. I was just seriously confronting my uh, alcoholism and and tobacco addiction for the first time. And I had just gotten started in an AA program, which didn't last, by the way. I had to drink for a couple more years before I finally got it to stick. But that first couple of months of being alcohol-free and tobacco-free were just so beautiful. And, And one fine morning, I just went out on the back porch and it sort of started to kind of fall out, you know, in big chunks. I just went with it, and the thing pretty much wrote itself. Well, I'm ready to see my freedom come. It's by Derek Lamson and friends, and uh, he's my guest today for Song of the Soul. Sometimes in the morning, in the morning. just about the rising of the sun. I look out, look out my window, see my freedom come. The nighttime has its beauty, but it goes on much too long. I say my prayers by Pray for dawn, oh my dear friend Jesus. You look so fine today. I'll just fix us both some coffee. We'll be on our way. We'll be on our way, and I'm glad to be leaving. With the lilacs coming on Let them call my name in the marketplace Baby, I'll be long gone Sometimes in the morning Just above the rising of the sun I look out, look out my window my freedom come 
And I'm glad, glad to be leaving. Glad to be leaving. With the lilacs coming on. Let them call my name in the marketplace. Baby, I'll be long gone. Say sometimes in the morning. Just about the rising of the sun. Well, I look out, look out my window, see my freedom come. Well, I look out, look out my window, see my freedom come. Well, I look out, look out my window, see my freedom. See my freedom come. That was See My Freedom Come. Derek, that's by Derek and Friends. So that must mean you have some friends and they must be able to make music too. Who are they? The uh, lovely counter soprano is my old, old friend and singing partner and running buddy, April Vanderwall. And we've been singing together for, well, since 93. She was just a kid when I met her here at the church. We sang together for years. She finally started dating this cool guy she met at Portland State University here in downtown Portland. Eventually, I got her safely married off to him, and he became our bass player. He's a tremendous musician himself. That's Rich Vanderwall. And about the same time that Rich came into our lives, we started seeing a guy named Bill Norris York came to our meeting with his wife Dover and a couple of little kids. And he happens to be an Intel engineer and a really, really good drummer and and enjoys percussion and all sorts of flavors. And we all just sort of clicked. We worked together for years, and then we got kind of serious about it and gigged a lot and did some recording. I love them, and I am no longer working with them as a quartet. We're still friends, and I'm going in other directions musically, but uh, we put in about 10 years together. It was really nice. I just had lunch with April today. Her little daughter, Fiona, is about 14 months old. Those children do have a way of changing your music availability, don't they, though? That's very insightful. That's exactly what happened. They started having babies and making mortgage payments, and they just couldn't get loose to play out, record, and do as much as, as I wanted to do. And, and I'm a lot older. I'm like old as dirt, so I don't have those obligations. How long have you been doing music? Is this your night and your day job? What kind of setup do you have? I am a miracle child of this meeting. I wandered in the door here almost 20 years ago from very kind of cynical, casual motives. Um, I thought the women were good-looking. I was pretty sure they weren't going to shove any fundamentalist Christianity crap at me. And the daycare was free for my children, you know. So very cynical, casual motives. And they so gently modeled their relationship with Jesus at me. I mean modeled it. I mean they didn't talk about it. They did it. And sometimes if you pressed them, they'd talk about it, and they'd say, yeah, we have this thing, you know, we have this guy we know. And uh, I just surprised everybody that knew me and my family and everybody else by, you know, just really saying, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Where do I sign? And it took me three or four months, which was just surprised the heck out of everybody, including them. They said, do you really mean this? Are you sure? Do you know what you're talking about? And I played casual 
pick up Lazy Man's acoustic guitar and had uh, kind of a fine arts poetry background. And with the spontaneous combustion that tends to happen in the hearts and souls of new converts, I started making up songs. And these guys, it was such a new church and such a small meeting, you know, that they said, that's really nice, do more. And eventually they said, that's ministry, which was a very scary word, and they just kept doing it. And um, it's pretty much what I want to do with what I have left on the planet. To me, it's the most important ministry I have. Maybe someday I'll quit hiding behind the guitar and get even stronger in the, in the ministry. But in the meantime, it's a great tool for communicating enthusiasm and acceptance and love for all kinds of people. I really, really enjoy it. It started right here at West Hills Friends Church in southwest Portland. Sound like some wonderful people, and maybe uh, I can travel over that way and get a chance to meet them one of these days. But let's go on to your next song. Uh, what do you want to do next? You know what I think would be good was I would love to hear uh, that uh, Hold On, Let Go thing, the kind of electric blues thing. Yeah, that's a pretty strong song. Uh, the guitar is, um, I probably date myself as connecting with the 60s, at least if I say <laughs> that guitar is heavy. Pretty retro, yeah, it's kind of heavy. You said you weren't doing music at 12 or whenever it was that you moved from the country. Uh, when did you start picking up the guitar? I was 17. I picked out a blues scale and a key of E, and I said, hey, I can do that. I had the blessing of hanging out with a couple of people that were just a little bit farther ahead of me, so you know it didn't feel so awkward learning things from them. And you know, When I got a little more serious about making music, when I started going to church here, was, they said, oh, you're drafted, you're a musician, you know. But I really wasn't a musician. I was just sort of a lazy guitar player. And and they said, no, no, you're a musician. You can help with Sunday morning music if you want to. And that was when I really kind of had to go to school and and learn enough theory and enough body of knowledge that I could work my way through a five or six song set list once a month. Well, tell me about this song, Hold On, Let Go. You know, what's it about? It's quite recent. Uh, I've had a sort of miraculous couple of years here, and I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but really I spent 27 years being uh, lower middle class and, and kind of happily, sloppily going to pieces on the couch, and like the last five, four or five years, my life has taken some lovely, dramatic, beautiful changes, and I feel like I've just gained all this second chance, second wind, it's like I'm 15 years younger, and yet a lot of it came from kind of dealing with tragedies. Is I, I finally confronted my drinking and got sober, and that made my wife crazy, and she said, well, then that's the end of our marriage. You're like, what? You know, that doesn't make any sense, but it made sense to her, and, and so a marriage of 27 years was let go of, and that was very difficult. And then all of a sudden, you know, I don't have a home, and I was sort of homeless and sober and coping with all this grief, and and then a good friend of mine lost her father, and that was the kind of the last of the straws on that particular camel's back. And I do songwriting to work things out. I do it very much intentionally in kind of collaboration with the Spirit of God as much as I possibly can. I do the best I can, and I, I really am working it out in prayer and in collaboration. And to me, this was a song that really touches the depths of my spirit about about coping and what we can do and what we can ask from God and what God will give us in the depths of grief. I'm going to hold on a little bit longer 
that was hold on, let go. And again, Derek, I'm not trying to nail you down. I know you're a poet, and the, the way poetry, you don't want to nail it down too firmly or else you lose the meaning. The hold on and let go in your life, what were you holding on to and what were you letting go of? I was riding my bike in the rain to work, and I tell people that the story of that song is I was talking with God, I was praying, and riding my bike in the rain to work, and I'm praying, I'm talking to God, and I say, uh, can I please have another really pretty song? It's been a long winter, and it's been a little rough. And can I please, would you help me write another pretty song? And so I get the inspiration, really, I think the first line came that morning, and, and I get this incredibly dark blues song, and which I think is a very funny story. As I asked Jesus for this pretty, pretty sweet song, and he says, here's this really dark blues song. But almost all the truth I'm capable of telling is in that when the guy says, if you feel like your soul is slipping, let it go and go down to that cradle of light. To me, that's a very, very profoundly hopeful metaphor. And it's about having the faith to let go and to give your life to God and say, well, it may be tragic. I may lose a leg. I may lose a wife. I may lose a child. I may be overrun by war or disease or death, but I'm going to be taken care of. And I have God, who is my friend and my lover and my king, is going to take care of me, whatever happens. And that's a real beautiful thing for me, I guess. And I was trying to express that somehow. When you say that Jesus has sensitive hands, I, I'm trying to figure out in which way that sensitivity is coming across. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands, and maybe those are the sensitive hands, but maybe you meant it in some other way? Don't you like that? Isn't that a scarily evocative verse? I just love that. It's so scary. What is it? It's, uh, you know, my Jesus, he has sensitive hands. In this dark and fateful hour, he is reaching out in power. That should be really a scary verse in a lot of ways. And I would expect people that, you know, are frightened of Christianity or, or angry about Christianity to feel threatened by that. And there's an ambivalence to uh, that gospel picture anyway, you know, that there's an angry and vengeful God out there ready to do justice, you know, on people. And yet, to me, also, when you say Jesus has sensitive hands, one of the first things that comes to mind is nails. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I'm sure he did have sensitive hands. I'm sure it hurt like hell. When you got involved there with West Hill Friends Church, you said you didn't want to go into some place where people are going to beat you over the head with a Bible or, you know, nail you with fundamentalist nails or something like that. What about them was different than the other places it sounds like you were avoiding? I was raised with a profound bigotry towards conventional Christianity. It was so pervasive and it was such a bigotry that I wasn't aware of it like all the worst and most insidious bigotries are, you don't know it's bigotry. You don't question it. It's like gravity. You say, well, that's not bigotry, that's truth. There's gravity. And in my household, I was raised to believe that Christians are maniacs, sometimes dangerous maniacs, but never really to be trusted with anything serious. I never questioned that until I was in my mid-30s, and I used to think I was a pretty well-read, thoughtful person. I was interested in Eastern philosophy. I read a lot of poetry. I'm a reasonably well-read human being, history. And I never questioned this bigotry I was raised with. I was quite surprised when I found these people, and they were so normal. They had a sense of humor, and they laughed, and they were not scary monsters. Well, that 
have been a happy landing for you. Let's go on to song number three right now. What's next on your list? Well, let's look at this Somebody's Praying for You tune. We like songs for different reasons, and one of the things I like about songs is balance. And uh, I struggle I struggle to try and be as good as I can. I don't think my vocals are that great. My guitar playing is kind of good, intermediate guitar playing. I think my gift is lyrics and song structure, and so it's nice when things balance out. I can say, okay, the voice works, the guitar works, it all kind of works together. And I like the way it works with the tradition, kind of the old-fashioned, kind of funky, retro thing. It's got some blues, it's got some folk, it's got a little gospel. And so, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was pretty successful and wanted to include it and share it. The name, Somebody's Praying for You, was that a message for someone else, or was this acknowledgement of what you were going through and what was changing you? Actually, you know, when I think back on that, there was a little uh, little woman named, uh, well, I won't give her name. She was an elder in our church, and she was a very quiet person. She was a doctor, raised a couple of kids, and had a family. And she's one of those people that was sort of raised supporting church. I mean, she's really the church lady, just like Dana Carvey. She was always so kind to me, and she was always so accepting, and she modeled following Jesus beautifully. She was an incredibly modest person. Yet, as the years go by, I find that I think back on her acceptance of me and her love and her modeling for me as something that really molded me and led me and shined a lot of light into my life. So I guess if I was to think somebody's praying for you, this might be for Meredith. <laughs> Give her first name. I'm kind of assuming at West Hill Friends Church they'd be pretty likely to just let you know, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. Or you could say, would, would you pray for me or you know, hold me in your prayers. In Eau Claire Friends meeting that I'm part of, we're more likely to say, uh, you know, I'll hold you in the light. We'll, we'll use that metaphor instead of the other one more typically. What kind of prayer life do you have? Is this a big part of your day? It's gotten better AA, of course, is very much a program that teaches you not how to fight with alcohol, but in fact how to hand the fight off to God. So uh, although I had been a follower of Jesus for years and years and had a prayer life, I had a pretty good relationship with God, I thought. The AA folks are pretty disciplined about do stuff daily. And so I got into daily meditations and daily prayer time. I don't really quite manage that discipline, but probably three, four days out of the week. I get maybe two hours in the morning. I do a little Bible. I do a little big book, uh, AA big book. I do some talking to God time and listening to God time, do a lot of journaling. And I'm perfectly content to take two or three hours out of my morning and get that done because then my day goes really good and my week goes better and, and uh, my life goes better. And that's a great gift to have. The song is Somebody's Praying for You. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul. His name is Derek Lamson, and he joins us today from over in Portland, Oregon, his home. Somebody's praying for you 
storm clouds roll It gets lonesome and cold Your time of temptation and care When your old heart's gonna break Your burden's too great Turn to Jesus who's able to It's lonesome and cold Your time of temptation and care When your old heart's gonna break Your burden's too great Turn to Jesus who's able to you say, you know, down in your soul where the sin bites you so. You know, I, I was struck by, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you said you got involved with West Hill Friends. It was really just five years ago that you really started to recover from your addictions. So does that mean that for 15 years in there, you, you found your spiritual home, you found your church family, but the sin was still biting you? Or maybe you don't equate addiction with sin. Absolutely. That's good keeping track. You're absolutely right. I spent an easy 14, 15 years being really, really involved in this meeting and committee work and a lot of leadership stuff and Sunday morning music about once a month. And then Sunday afternoon, I'd go home and start getting wrecked, you know, and and by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I, I was pretty wrecked, you know. And one of the things that really got me into recovery was that the uh, integrity issues were driving me nuts because on Sunday morning I'm saying, you know, the power of God is sufficient to me, but by Sunday afternoon it was the power of vodka that was, was actually moving my soul. The integrity stuff was just driving me nuts. So I actually could cope with the physical junk of doing heavy habits like that, but I just could not cope with the integrity issues. And it's funny, there is the word sin in that, and that's not a word that we use very much here at West Hills Friends at all. We're about 30% light and about 70% pray for. As an evangelical friends meeting, our tradition is very conventionally Christian, 
but that tradition is a generation away for a lot of people. And as an urban church, we meet lots and lots of universalists who come in the door, and they say, oh, you're a friends meeting. We know what that means. And we say, okay, cool, hope so, because we're pretty Jesus-y here, but we're also really, really accepting and loving and open-minded towards our universalist friends. But we don't use the word sin here. Uh, we don't use it in sermons. We don't use it in uh, casual talk. So it's kind of remarkable for me to stick it in there. Sin's a pretty big word, and I don't use it much. Yeah, it can be a big one for a lot of people. I've seen people turn and run when they heard right. it. Uh, you talked, you know, you were a vodka man, right? Uh, so uh, you, when you had uh, thirst to be slaked, I, I guess you grabbed that bottle. You chose, I think, your next song, One Cool Cup of Water. And I don't know, but I'm kind of assuming this is connected with Jesus on the cross at the end. He says, I'm thirsty, and they give him some spoiled wine. Is that the cool cup of water you're talking about, number one, and maybe they should have just given him vodka? <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's good. Uh, Mark, that reference is really to, I think there's a verse in, in Matthew where Jesus says, if you even give one cup of water in my name, you're going to get some credit for it. I liked one cool cup of water because it has a lovely balance for me in issues that are really important to me. You've heard of the idea of cheap grace, and that's something that everybody that professes to follow Jesus should get a good, heaping, helpful of discussion about that, because cheap grace says, all I have to do is repeat magical formulas, and I am saved from hell, and I'm guaranteed of heaven and all this. Of course, there's a whole huge other body of Christian tradition that says, you know, that just doesn't matter. What really matters is how do you live your life? How do you treat your brothers and sisters? How do you treat the least of these? And that song is actually quite early in my experience as a follower of Jesus. And I was trying to reconcile those two poles of Christian tradition, where the one says, yeah, all you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord, and that's it. And the other one says, no, actually, you're going to have to talk to Jesus about what you did about all the poor people, all the hungry people, all the thirsty people, all the lonely people. What did you do about it? So that song for me has some resonance on those issues. So peace and justice type issues, when you said people visit West Hill Friends Church, they say, oh yeah, this is a friends meeting, maybe more like the meeting I go to. You say you're pretty Jesus-y. Are you talking about the fact that you are very involved in that peace and justice concern, living as Jesus told us we're supposed to be living and that we're going to be judged on? You know, the goats and the sheep get separated on what they do for the least of these. Are you saying that... That's a significant component not only of Derek Lamson's life, but of West Hill Friends Church and how you approach things. Thanks for asking. I just think that's a great question. One of the beauty parts about the leadership in this meeting, whether it's a little old lady named Meredith or whether it's the released pastor, a Princeton Seminary grad, is that it is their bedrock and fundamental presumption that because you have a relationship with Jesus, because of that, you will be empowered and led and challenged to give of yourself to the least of these, to give to the peace movements, to give to stewardship of the earth, to you know give to hunger and clothing things. And so therefore, this meeting is, I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of them. Some of them are tremendous leaders in those fields. We've sent three or four medical missions to third world countries. We've done huge food drives. These people absolutely put their money where their mouth is on that stuff. And they've modeled that kind of Christianity for me, and I'm very grateful for that. I 
guess I want to ask you a question that might be kind of challenging. If you don't feel like answering it, then I certainly accept that. So you did 15 years. You're part of the meeting. You're very involved. You've got your afternoon meetings with vodka. Yeah. A lot of people think, you know, hey, I had a born-again experience. I'm saved. I've come to Jesus. And a lot of people changed dramatically then. I'm not at all belittling that experience. But obviously you had a certain come to Jesus maybe 20 years ago, and you've got a new come to Jesus over the last five years. What's the difference? I mean, you were with Jesus before too, right? Well, I I guess I don't know really, and I think everybody's life is going to be a little bit different. I, I will tell you for sure that in my experience of prayer, and particularly with the Quaker emphasis on listening, which we do a lot of here. We spend a lot of our Sunday service listening, and we talk about the importance of it in our regular non-church spiritual discipline lives. I heard over and over again from the Spirit of God, just like it was written in 16-point type, was, don't you think you ought to deal with your drinking? And I'd say right back to the Spirit of God, can we not have this conversation? And God would say, listen, you know how much I love you, Derek. I will give you all the help you need. And I'd say, can we please just not talk about this right now? And all I can say is that eventually he wore me down. And, uh, you know, it was like the conversation I had with a therapist when I finally went in and started dealing with it seriously. And she says, why don't you pick a date? And I said, because I'm afraid of failure. And she says, tell me how trying and failing is worse than not trying. And I said, God, lady, you've got me there, you know, so I picked a date. I don't know why it took so long. It did. Well, I'm glad the day came for you. And I guess maybe it was a chance for the therapist and some others to pass you one cool cup of water. That's the song that we're going to listen to now by my guest, Derek Lamson, One Cool Cup of Water. In my name, my name. 
Thousand Gone by Derek Lampson, and you said this was kicked up for you, Derek, following 911, and you've got this image of kids involved in this. Are you talking about kids, uh, New York, kids in Iraq? Where is this really hitting you? Mark, I'm old. I'm 55, so this is not my first war. This is not my first thing. I've been watching the American state go from authoritarianism to teetering on the ragged edge of much, much worse now for the last 
25, 30 years. And Vietnam was bad enough, and it was all lies and deception and greed and stupidity and sacrificing American kids and Vietnamese kids and everybody to lies and deception and careerism. You know, it's, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's just that it gets so weary to see the same thing over and over again. And I was reading a commentator on Iraq, and he was saying some ridiculous nonsense about, I won't waste too much of your time with this, but he was, he was saying something stupid about, it looks like Iran's going to meddle in Iraq's affairs. And I thought, will you people please read a history book? Iran and Iraq, I mean, they're, they're cousins and neighbors. Do you not think that they'll be involved? And how much more important is this to them than it is to us across the Atlantic Ocean. I get so tired of empire. I get so tired of blood and money and guns. How willing they are to sacrifice us and sell us out for their careers. I hate it. It's the only thing I hate. There's so much sorrow, and of course sorrow brings up that kind of anger for us, for many of us at least. It's hard to keep the love foremost in our hearts when we're watching particularly the children sent off the casualties let's go to your last song just one more and if i'm not mistaken it's little brown bird is that right little brown bird this is actually for my wife we had a bad fight one morning and in about 10 minutes i wrote this song which was really surprising usually it takes me weeks you know people will listen to it so it sounds like you wrote it pretty quick you know but I like it because it's kind of a country, almost bluegrass lick, and I have those tastes, too. And I really like it. It reminds me of some of my favorite folk and country artists and uh, evocative imagery. I like there's an emotional center to it, and it's where the guy says, he says, Jesus has come today, and he's, coming, he's headed out your way. Don't you cry. I go, well, what is that about? Well, I don't know, but it, it was just so powerful. I had to leave it in and just let myself and my listeners be challenged by it. I think it's kind of sweet myself. I hope you like it. I'm sure they will. Here it is, Little Brown Bird, Derek Lanson, and friends. Little brown bird stuck in a tree I don't think you'll sing for me, sing so sweet, sing so sweet. Long black cloud hanging down, little brown bird, you better get out of town, dirty old Jesus came today Heard he was headed out your way Don't you cry Don't you cry Don't you cry Jesus is the Son of God Movie said and the mountains gone
jagged peaks Jesus healed his hurt in me Any old time, dear Lord Any old time Any old time, dear Lord Any old time Little brown bird stuck in a tree If I cut you loose, would you marry me? All our kids get little brown wings All together we could sing Praise the Lord in those harmonies Praise the Lord in those harmonies Praise the did have that bluegrass field in there. Folks should know that they can check out more about you on your website, DerekLamson.com, I think is right. Is that it? That's correct. And there will be some fun stuff there about uh, the trip to Burundi last year, and there will be some African-American gospel interpreted by Africans. We had a great time. I spent two years with, or two months, excuse me, two months, it only seemed like two years, I mean, after you've eaten beans and rice for two weeks, it seems like five years, they were so much fun, and we didn't even have enough language to disagree about theology. They were real fundamentalists. We had a wonderful time and sang each other's music, and I ate a lot of beans and rice. Well, thank you so much, Derek. I hope people do go check you out on CD Baby or uh, YouTube. I saw some videos out there for you, or they can check out via my Northern Spirit Radio dot. O-R-G site, and uh, they'll find links about you there. Thank you so much again, Derek, for sharing your Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. It's just been a pleasure to talk with you this afternoon. I hope spring comes out there to Wisconsin soon. That was Derek Lamson, my guest for Song of the Soul today, joining us from his home in Portland, Oregon. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy. Sing out a song.